Welcome, I'm Laura Lee Binstock, and you are listening to a Trauma Survivor Thrivers podcast. Mental health affects men and women equally. However, many people, even my audience, may feel like there's an imbalance assuming women are mostly affected. After all, I've only had five men who are trauma survivors on my show. And it's really because women are more likely than men to disclose mental issues and seek help. The stigma around men and mental illness is one that needs to be dismantled, and it starts by talking about it. So joining me today is Ryan Harlan, author of Riding the Storm. Ryan, thank you so much for coming on my show. Thank you for having me. It's a privilege. Your book, Riding the Storm, is a powerful and bold memoir about your struggles with trauma. While many men are fearful of seeking help, you are so courageous to write a memoir about it. You know, was there fear there? Oh, definitely. Definitely. Um, yeah, the fear of getting judged and uh, put down. And um, really, people might, I was scared that people might think, oh, he's only lying. You know, he, he's not telling the truth. He's making it all up. But, but okay, there was that fear. But it was always a strength in me to tell that story, to be that person who will break that that cycle of men not talking and hopefully open up others to uh, open up in their stories and it. Yeah. Well, what pushed you to write it? Um, I mean, this is, this is, I know that it's probably therapeutic for you to also write the, your story, but to put it out there, what pushed you to do it? Really? It all started a few years ago when I lost my brother. Um, that kind of gave me the uh, emphasis to start writing, but it, originally I was just uh, writing just to talk about his life because he had such a tragic life more than mine to be honest so I started doing that then I put it at the back burner for a few years because I was going through my own uh, troubles even more I was realizing who I was and my mental illness and things like that and it wasn't until I started uh, doing more therapy especially group therapy that I thought I'm going to pick this back up again so I started back at the beginning um, got a ghostwriter to help me and basically she used to meet out with me once a month and just recalled everything I was saying and then we just worked together just to get into book form and to get it out there but yeah it was definitely therapeutic hard going but therapeutic amazing nothing nothing good is easy right um no. You know, you write about your struggles with emotional intensity disorder or EID. It's actually formally known as borderline personality disorder. Yeah. Um, can you tell me a little bit about that and what your experience is? Yeah, it's mainly we just struggle with emotions and uh, basically everything is heightened. Like uh, little things to you that you would stress over are massive to us and uh, we struggle in relationships friendly and romantic you know um i've lost so many friends and family over the years because i've just kind of pushed them away just with the way i was acting and looking at life and that it's all they all say it's due to um trauma as a child that obviously contributes to that and it's yeah it's just the way i look at life and i've feel of abandonment so if um someone wants to leave me i say i i try and try and try to keep that person in my life even if I know they're no good for me because I hate being on my own so it's I've had to learn to control these thoughts these feelings these emotions and that it's still an ongoing process I'll never be 
100% normal, whatever you want to call it, but it's mm. it's just a way of looking at life. It's completely different to the majority of other people. You you in the in the book you use this analogy of sunglasses. Can you yeah. go into that? Um, because I found that really interesting. Yeah, um, it's like you've got so many different layers of sunglasses over you, and obviously when you're looking through these these lenses, they're all different color lenses. So obviously what are called filters. So you're looking at an image. So you're looking at the same image as me, but I'm seeing completely something different to you. So it's just a way of the way I perceive things, the look at life, the, the way I feel. It just creates an, uh, a different illusion to what everyone else sees. And then obviously it plays with my mind and how I feel and the way I react to certain situations. So it, it's just, yeah, it's like a film that's over your face. It's like a hood. And then you've got to kind of rip that hood off so you can see things normal. But that hood, that hood sorry, is always slipping over you because, as I say, it's never going to go away. Mm-hmm. Did you feel better when you received that label? Because I know for me, you know, I was di- actually diagnosed bipolar um, about 10, 11 years ago. Um, oh. And, you know, I was on lithium and I was on trilepto. I was on all these really hard medications. Um, but then just recently, just last year, I realized, or I didn't, I, you know, in listening to some other people's stories, I'm like, oh, PTSD, oh, people get PTSD from sexual abuse. Like, maybe that's what I'm dealing with. Cause I never talked about the sexual mm. abuse. I was abused by my father. Um, and so I never talked about it. And when I realized that it could be PTSD, that kind of changed everything. You know, I, mm. I, I changed medications and all, and I got, the help that I needed. Um, so I thought that was interesting. So for you, did you feel like that label was um, helpful or hard? Um, I say yes and no. It was yes in the fact that I kind of started realizing who I was because before that, I just thought I was an angry person who just emotional and that, you know, I, I just knew I was different, but I didn't know why I was different. Um, I didn't realise it was to do with my childhood and things. I, I thought it, it was just the way I, I was. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, it kind of made me realise who I was. But in the same time, doing more research into that borderline personality disorder or emotional intensity disorder, whichever you want to call it, I found out other aspects of that, which I know I wasn't, but then I thought, oh, am I going to get all these? So it kind of... It was hard in respect because it was it was making me realize who I was, but then I didn't want to be that person. I wanted to be me with that. That I wanted that to be just part of me, which I'm kind of at that stage now. That it, it's not me; it's just part of me. I am Brian. BPD is just a small part of me. Do you know what I mean? So it's it's yes and no. It was good in some respects. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, you, you experienced so much trauma, you know, you, you were just talking about, um, your brother, mm. um, but you were also sexually abused by your father. Is that correct? Yeah, I, yeah. Only the once for me, which I kind of feel lucky in respect. Um, cause my poor brother had it between the age of five and 15 and obviously no one knew about it until I was due to get married and I was obviously engaged with my ex-wife and I, I thought, well, if I'm going to spend the rest of my life with this woman, I'm going to tell her. That's the first person I told and 
she gave me the encouragement to tell my mum, then we told my brother, and then we found out about him. So, mm. yeah, but then he didn't want to do anything about it. He was still ashamed and things like that. So we'd never done anything. We didn't go to the police or anything for a few years after that. Wow. Yeah, I can. Yeah. And did you, did you, so you, when were you able to connect the I, the EID and the trauma that you, you dealt with? Um, it was really when I started going to group therapy, when they finally diagnosed me with that and obviously going to group therapy, seeing other people and then just learning more about it. And the word trauma come up so much in all the research I I searched through and obviously the lessons I was learning. And I just thought, you know, this has got to be the reason. This is everything we've been through as children has played a part in it. They do say it can be a bit of chemical imbalance in your brain and blah, blah, blah. But for me, I can't put it to anything else than what's happened in the past. Absolutely. Mm. I mean, that, that, I think that's a big part of it. You know, it's funny that you were talking, not funny, but you were talking about how you thought you were just this angry. Is it better? You, everything Is good? that better? Is that yeah, better? No. I don't know if it was too bright, that was all. No, no, no worries. Um, I found it, um, you know, I, it did take me a while to connect the trauma. Obviously, it took me 20 years to connect the trauma mm. and, and my symptoms because for me, I thought I was this horrible person. I thought this, I was this angry, angry person. I thought I was just this, this emotional, like, you know, I, I dealt with suicidal ideation frequently in my life. Um, mm. And it, it just, it took a really long time for me to connect that I was not, and that it, it was tied to the trauma and I wasn't a bad person, mm. right? I feel, I felt like something's wrong with me, you know, did, did, so did you feel, I know you were saying when you were diagnosed EID, that you actually felt that, um, that there was a reason for all of your behaviors. Um, did you, do you, do you feel like um, you got the help you needed for all of the trauma that you, you've dealt with? In the end, eventually, yes. Uh, obviously through all the years I've been in there of counseling as a child and growing up for different reasons. And with the one-on-one -on -one counseling, I really struggled because I, I felt like you go in there talking about everything and you do your 10 week session and they just send you away like you're healed. And then you're going back in the real world, you think, oh yeah, I'm all right. Then two yeah. weeks later, you're like, you're going downhill again. So you're back in counseling. But for group therapy, when I obviously finally got diagnosed, it was different. I just kind of took everything on board. I think I was ready to understand it then. And I don't think I was before. I think I had to heal certain wounds so I was open to understand it more. So, yeah, um, eventually, I, yeah, I got the help. And I was one of the lucky ones because I know a lot of people out there don't get on these courses and that. And it's just turning to other ways to deal with their problems, obviously drink and drugs and that. And I feel so sorry for them people. Yeah, I, I think that's interesting. You talk about group therapy because when I, when I learned when I was going to go into residential treatment, I was like, I can't do group therapy. There's no way I can do group therapy. Mm. Um, I had never done it before. It's just the idea of group therapy scared me. 
But then because we were in residential um, treatment and you had to go to group therapy, um, I realized how amazing it was because you were in a room with people who were dealing with the same things. And it was so, it made, it made it easier for me to say, oh my gosh, me too. And it made it easier for me to speak up. And then, you know, I went kind of went, I was in residential treatment th for 31 days. And I remember kind of, I remember coming out of residential treatment um, and kind of, or going through, you know, cycles of different process groups. But once I became comfortable, then I was able to talk about it to a group of people who hadn't heard my story. And they were coming up to me saying, I really did that happen to me too. And, and, you know, I realized when we talk about these things, um, you know, it, it, it kind of, I don't want to say it normalizes it, but it, it makes, it ha makes other people want to talk about it. And I think that's an amazing thing mm. um, that you're doing. Um, I do, was, I, I know that you had the support of your mother. Um, yeah. I mean, I think support goes a long way. And, and what was, what was your mother's reaction when you told her about everything? Um, shock. And then she started blaming herself mm. and, you know, me and my brother at the time was just reassuring and saying, it's not your fault. These people who do these things are opportunities. My mum used to go and stay with her mum uh, one night a week. And I said to my mum, you're leaving your kids in the hands of your their so-called father. You think okay. it would be safe for them. So you go and look after your mother for a night. And that's the opportunity that, that they need. They're clever. They're conniving. They're deceiving. Deceiving. Oh, I can't say the word. <laughs> but uh, you know what I mean. Deceitful, um, yes. Yeah, Receiving. That's, that's it. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But then she blamed herself for such a long time. She said, Well, I married him. And that's Mum, you no one knew, especially back then, it wasn't mm -hmm. even spoke about. Mm -mm. And um, yeah, she she found it hard. But she, yeah, she has been a massive support. Uh is, is your father still around? No, luckily he passed away, which was mm -hmm. good. But Did we you... never got kind of justice. We, we can kind of accept that as justice. He's not around to hurt anyone else, but he never mm -hmm. went down the proper justice route, you know, jail, things like that. Did you ever confront him? Yeah, well, he, he got arrested over it. And, um, oh. Yeah, and um, it went to the minor court, uh, local court, and um, it got adjourned to the big court, uh, magistrate court here. Then... I think it was a couple of weeks before he was going to trial. I got a call from uh, the local hospital saying, we've got your father here. I was like, what? why are you contacting me? I've nothing to do with him. He said, oh, he's only got 24 hours to live. And I oh. thought, knowing him, I thought, he's, he's, he's lying. This is all crap. He's done something to make someone help him get out of this. So I went up to the hospital and uh, um, spoke to the nurse and... Uh, she said, no, it's definitely him. You can go and see him, but he's unconscious. So I went in there and it was definitely him. She said that he can't speak in it because he was unconscious, but he can still hear. So I kind of had my final say there. I've done it respectfully because there was other people on the ward, but I told him what I thought and what I wanted to say. And then uh, the next morning he, he passed away. So, yeah, it was justice in a certain respect, but not the one that we always wanted to... Uh, Get him on. 
Right. Well, I think that's great that you were able to to say what you needed to say to him. Yeah. In certain respects. It, it did make it easier knowing that he couldn't respond. It, I, it I could completely understand that, yes. Because I was not looking forward to staying up in court and being questioned. And obviously the defence were going to try and rip me apart because obviously that's their job. And I was so nervous that they was trying going to make me out to be a liar and that. And I was, my anxiety was terrible, but I knew I was, it had to be done because it needed to be punished. But the thought of actually staying up in court and in front of him and saying what he'd done to loads of people and then being questioned on it, oh, not a great feeling. So thankfully I kind of didn't have to go down that, that route, but it's just a shame that he never got the proper justice and uh, what he should have done. Um. What do you what do you say to other survivors, especially male survivors who have dealt with sexual abuse and, and are too kind of are kind of scared to speak up and, and scared of the stigma? Um just don't be scared. It's okay to tell people how you feel. You're not the you didn't ask for these things to happen because that's your automatically your automatic reason oh, I must have asked, I must have done something to get that. You're not less of a man for it to happen. You're more of a man speaking up. Get the help. Get it out of your head. It will make you feel better. And you could help someone else who's in the same position that you was in. It's it's so vital that, especially men, anyone, but especially men, to stand up and speak. Yeah, I, I, I agree. I think, I mean, it is just a hard thing to just talk about just on on your your you know just as anyone um mm. but i do find that obviously there there's there is that stigma where men are supposed to kind of put on a face and i think that we need to start getting rid of that whole you know everyone needs to be normal because really no one is normal like what is normal right oh, <laughs> i have i have to remind myself sometimes when people say oh what's normal what is normal is nothing normal it's just what society says is normal that everyone that seems like oh i've got to be that way no just be yourself mm. and when people use the terms especially to men man up mm. it, it, <laughs> sorry it it grinds me that saying it's like you're you're telling the man to basically suck up his feelings and just get on with life no because that's what we have been doing and look where it's got us nowhere it's made us emotional vexed and suicidal and alcoholics drug addicts you know they've all had that internal pain they had nowhere to express it so they've gone down other routes to do it stop telling them to man up encourage them to speak support them hold their hand give them that arm that they need round them give them that shoulder that they can lean on that's all they need and they'll be a stronger man for it trust me absolutely i think you that is every everyone needs to hear that they need to hear that if if just anyone if something everyone's gone through some type of trauma it doesn't need to be sexual abuse it doesn't need to be um physical abuse it can be just even abandonment issues mm. That that is a that that can be um, affect someone well into adulthood and affect their relationships deeply. 
Um, and so I, it's just, you know, for men, you know, I've read that for men, you know, they do go the route of addiction. So do women, but it's more likely that men will kind of keep within themselves and just go into addictions and go into, you know, and, and, and I was reading that men actually kind of show their, their depression and their anxiety in much different ways than women do. You know, mm. men are more aggressive and more angry well, where as women are more like crying and, and it looks obvious that they're yes. or depressed. Yep. Um, so I think we need to look at, you know, there is when there's anger on both sides, there's probably something underlying there that we might want yeah. to be curious about. People are too quick to judge these days, I find. So if you see an angry man, you're just going to think, oh, he's angry. I don't want to bother with him. So you leave him away. And then obviously same with women. If you see a really emotional woman, I'm sure they feel abandonment as well. Think, people think, well, mm -hmm. she's too emotional. I don't want nothing to do with her. Yeah. It's... Let's, it's mm. let's be more curious. You know, what is yeah. thing? What's wrong with them? You know, why is she feeling this way? And then you'll realize you'll uncover so much more and maybe save mm. someone's life. Yeah. I'm a firm believer is if you're talking to someone or you or around someone, don't look at what they say. Look at how they're talking through their eyes because the eyes don't lie. Mouths lie. Eyes don't. They could be smiling, but you can see pain in their eyes. You can see there'd be anger coming out of their mouth, but you can see sadness in the way they look. It's... It's so it, too easy to judge these days. Just look a bit deeper and you don't know that you could make a difference to someone's life by just not judging them so quick. I agree. Ryan, is there anything else that you would like to add? No, I think we've covered it all and I appreciate you uh, arranging this for me. It's been a blessing and, and lovely. I've really enjoyed it. Well, I appreciate you coming on because I feel like we need more men to speak out. Um, mm. Because I, I think once people start speaking out and talking about it, men and women, you know, the stigma around just mental illness as a whole um, will be shedding. It's it's shedding slowly and slowly. But I think we have a we have a long way to go. And oh, I definitely. But I think we're on the right track. I really do. Exactly. Well, thanks again for joining me. Thank you. All right, that was Ryan Harlan, trauma survivor, thriver, and author of the memoir, Riding the Storm. For more information about Ryan and his book, Riding the Storm, please visit atstpodcast.com. That's the letter A, tstpodcast.com. Also, don't forget to subscribe to my website to get my monthly magazine, Authentic Insider, directly to your email each month. Thanks for being a part of the conversation. I'm Lori Lee Binstock. Take care. <laughs>